So the internet is probably about a 92% penetration in, in North America, give or take. Uh, but in other places around the world, it's about 47%. So we talk about cash going away, but it won't go away until, until you have you know, tremendous, uh, until it's, there's internet everywhere uh, for digital money, but certainly in uh, you know Norway, places where it's, it's everywhere, it may happen sooner. But um, the power of Bitcoin, the power of Lightning Network will follow the adoption curve of the internet itself, because it is an extension and continuation of the revolution of the internet. And as there's more and more adoption of the internet through places around the world that need it, um, they're going to gravitate towards um, towards Bitcoin and hard money. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Join our Bitcoin Basics community in our new Telegram group at bitcoinbasics.help telegram. No ads, no altcoins, shitcoins, no other nonsense, only Bitcoin information, education and discussion at bitcoinbasics.help telegram. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening everyone. Welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host Gordon, that's me, and I have Faris with me as well. Yeah. Our proof of recording is the 17th of December, 2021. The current price of Bitcoin is 47,930. The current block height or block number is all-time highs, 714,453. If you got that joke, well done. And $1 is 2,036 Satoshis, according to the bitcoin.clarkmoody.com dashboard. Faris, we are privileged. Last week, well, actually this week, earlier this week, we interviewed uh, Herman from Bitcoin Akasi about the uh, Bitcoin Lightning Network and how that's uh, integrated into the amazing work that he's doing and his coaches in uh, empowering uh, marginalized kids in South Africa. And almost at the other end of the spectrum, we're talking to the CEO of a million dollar company um, helping enterprises plug into the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So I kind of have to sort of uh, refresh myself in that how lucky you are, how privileged you are. And both conversations were amazing. I thought today's conversation was fascinating from a technical point of view. And you missed a little bit of the first part of the podcast, which is fine because we geeked out about our technical backgrounds. But what did you think? Yeah, apologies, everyone. I had to come in a bit later this one, but uh, I, these last two conversations that we've had about the Bitcoin Lightning Network have really changed my perception on it. Um, I go into this a bit more detail in the um, interview here. Um, yeah, it is it is a much bigger deal than what I thought it would be. I knew Bitcoin Lightning would be a game changer. I just thought it was a long time away, but it's happening quickly and sooner than I expected. And I mentioned this as well. Sean is a lot like you, Gordon, in that he comes from a tech side, a developer side, but very, very good at explaining things in layman's term for us non-technical people. So yeah, two very different um, spectrums, but both about the Bitcoin Lightning Network and that really, really recommend it and something we need to start paying a lot more attention to because it is moving fast it is the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So should we change our podcast to the Bitcoin Lightning <laughs> Network Basics <laughs> podcast? <laughs> no, we're good. Okay, we could do both. Here's the interview. <laughs> 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Today, I'm flying solo, so no Faris today, everyone, but we have the pleasure of Sean Anstey. I should have actually asked you if that's you got correct perfect. beforehand. That's bang on the wow. money. Very rare, so you win the prize. Wow, okay, fantastic. Um, I win a couple of uh, lightning <coughs> bitcoins. So let's send you some stats. <laughs> um, yeah, Sean, I, I know this question is boring. You get it a lot of time, but how about you tell us, maybe even before Bitcoin, like what's your background and um, do you want to give us your I, origin story? My origin story. So for sure. I, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the origin story in tech and I mean, some of my personal life, if that's of interest, but sir, I've been in tech for, for over 25 years, all internet-based technologies, started companies back in the mid to late nineties, all involved in analytics and, and kind of you know, worked through that field to the, the 2000s and came by Bitcoin very honestly. It was introduced by uh, um, a cousin of mine who was in the space and we got it right away. We understood what it was. It's kind of like, hey, this is, it's, it would seem natural, like this is digital money for, for the internet. And, and that was, maybe started, I did some mining back in 2012 and, uh, and, and worked in the space, built out industrial Bitcoin mines in 2014 for a client. And, and 2000, late 2014, 2015, we looked at the space that, you know, we, need, we really need to bring our analytics background to the forefront to create compliance software to allow institutions to get into Bitcoin. And, and a lot of Bitcoin maxers are really opposed, opposed to that kind of stuff. But I'm a pragmatist and looking at going, hey, you're not going to get Wall Street money in here unless you can meet certain parameters. It's just not going to happen. And for very simple reasons for the listeners, uh, board of directors and senior officers of a public company, uh, if they were to get fined for taking Bitcoin and they were negligent and didn't have compliance software in place, they potentially expose themselves to being personally liable, meaning they can get sued by individuals. Uh, and, and no board in the world is ever going to do that. It's not going to happen. So <clears throat> unless you have reporting stuff around it, you're not going to get Wall Street money. You're not going to get institutional money to flow into the space. And that's kind of the first phase of uh, bridging old the old school financial network with the modern financial network. And things will continue to morph and become decentralized and the world will change, but we have to get through this portion of it. Now, since then, uh, that compliance software, uh, Blockchain Intelligence Group, we, I, back, we went public in the Canadian markets in 2017. We raised about $23 million and uh, we survived the crypto winter. And during that time, we bought a company called Netcoins and combined the two to create a, for a compliance first exchange. And that, uh, that company recently hit a billion dollar market cap and is one of Canada's uh, best exchanges and biggest exchanges. It's actually is fully licensed across Canada as of about two months ago. Uh, one of the first to receive a license like that and into the public market. So it's it's allowed a lot of people to get in, into crypto in Canada and has been um, uh, great to see it go from the ideas to to the full gamut and has been uh, quite the, the journey for myself and other co-founders in there and the highs and the lows and uh, all extreme, all extreme highs and extreme lows, all fueled with caffeine in between it. So <laughs> just to accentuate it. Uh, and now is the... Uh, after 2019, after I did that acquisition, we have Mark Bins in charge of that, and they've done teams are going to get job. I started Liquid LQWD, uh, which recently went public on the Toronto Stock Exchange, following the same playbook we did for the, my other uh, other startup that had, had success. And we're all about the Bitcoin Lightning Network and the Bitcoin Lightning Network and where it's going to unlock the value for Bitcoin and bring Bitcoin to the next billion people. Awesome. I have about 15 questions out of that. But before we get started, Sean, I've been stalking you on LinkedIn. So uh, doing a little bit of research. <laughs> okay, <great>. um, <laughs> No, don't worry. Um, 
And you worked, or I think you're the founder of XPC Technology Services, because I've, I've got a tech background and that's, your background with mine is fairly similar, like Linux and data and databases and a little bit of programming. I think, I don't know about you, Sean, I pretend to be a programmer, but I, I wouldn't hire myself as a programmer. Like, I'm I just, the same way. You know. I'm the same way. I have great people that work for me. I do programming uh, when I want to for myself or you know, for a week, we grabbing some, you know, I can grab an API and, and insert it to a database and have the data pull and set up the, the crons and the timers on the Linux systems. That's what I do, but I'm not a, I'm not a hardcore programmer, but I know enough within that. And I'm a very, very good head for business and numbers and, uh, and understand the tech so I can marry the two together. Um, and that's really where my strength is. So. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous. So um... <laughs> there you go. There's that, yeah. Um, so, so I'm I'm going to give you a quick lightning round just to start with because you mentioned okay, a few right things on. in your XPC uh, LinkedIn, uh, C plus plus or Perl. Oh boy, well Perl, I, you'd have to go C plus plus, but certainly Perl was old school from the '90s and uh, a very powerful language. But you could do a, you could do the same. If I remember correctly, you could do a lot of the same things there's many ways to get to point A to point B and, uh, and it wasn't necessarily the right way to do it. Um, but Pearl was tremendously powerful and I wish we had done a few more of a project in Pearl at the time. Um, and we had, there was a stretch that we used Microsoft C and this is back in the nineties and we got hung up on, uh, uh, some bug in the Microsoft language and it wasn't open source and we had no way of fixing it and we had to rewrite a bunch of code and it really hung us up. And uh, that was a great lesson at, a, at age 26. And I was like, you know, never again, uh, we will use open source languages from here on in and we'll never, you know, I, I apologize to the Perl community and I, I didn't quite, <laughs> but I wish I had, I felt like I should. I'm like, um, you know, forgive us, uh, we uh, sinned. I'm exactly the same. Uh, it's like it's like when you get into Bitcoin and then you discover Ethereum and all coins. It's it's okay, you know. Um, right. You, you you dabble in the casino, but then you quickly realize that it's all garbage. Um, right. I'm. I, I started off with Pearl, actually, one of my first jobs. So that was my wow. uh, my entry into the deep. And I, it's a trigger word for me whenever someone mentions Pearl. I have nightmares, <laughs> and and uh, then I moved across to C plus plus, and I did a bit of Linux programming, which. Was fascinating, but I won't bore our audience because we've probably lost most of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think one thing before we get into liquid and uh, Bitcoin Lightning, one of the things you mentioned was a Bitcoin industrial mining um, company. Right. Or what, what, what were you doing there? Yeah, so there was a company that I, I knew and they hired me on. So it wasn't my company, but we actually set up back in the day, uh, 2014, we set up about 100. It, it was There was a warehouse down in Washington State. Uh, we had like all kinds of miners coming in. We had to build with the power. Um, it, was, it was quite the um, uh, undertaking. <clears throat> they mined like 100 Bitcoin at the time. They had the ability to mine more and more. <clears throat> and uh, it, it was just a good experience in terms of building all that out. So I was contracted to build it, but it was definitely an experience and a half of, of setting up all kinds of miners and and then connecting them, to, you know, connecting them to pools and using all the knowledge I had learned from my own personal mining and uh, and certainly the power requirements and it just amazes me. So back then you had you know mining gear that went from processing on your you know your you could run a miner off your laptop to your video card and then went from video card to these five giga hash machines that were and, and by the time the five giga hash machine arrived you'd already had the ten the twenty the fifty the hundred within a six month span when anything you bought was just out of date before it even arrived um, and. <clears throat> Eventually, you got to the one terahash machines, and the ones we put in were two terahash machines. So you had a lot more life cycle out of them, 
Um, but it still got down to power. And now you've got these machines that come in there. And I think at the time, the facility was pushing at 100 terahash, but now you get that out of one machine. So, uh, and, and really the Bitcoin mining gear has probably got about three-year life on it and, or more if you've got really great power costs on it and rising Bitcoin price. So um, it's just amazing how quickly that, that cycle changed, but it was a good experience and uh, we're grateful for it. And are you talking ASICs or are we talking FGPAs or what? I'm talking ASICs. Oh, there was all ASICs, the whole thing. There were S2 miners and they were rack mount and uh, unlike the ones we have now. And I, I quite like the design of them. I thought they were really kind of great for building out a, a really logical facility. And that's probably more because I come from a data center background as well through the 2000s and building up facilities and, and cross-connecting uh, uh, data centers around around Canada and, and or Seattle and Vancouver and that kind of stuff. So uh, it, it appealed to my data center background. Uh, but the new miners, the way they set up their designed for high density and a great wall of heat. And that's what people don't understand when you get up, you know, you get a hundred of these things together, a thousand, it's basically a thousand air dryers running full tilt 24 seven. And the amount of heat that it puts out is astronomical. And you, you just, you just don't have any idea until you're standing in front of this wall of heat and you're like, Oh, it's a big problem. <laughs> it's a really big problem. Yeah, My, my ex-girlfriend knows all about that, but we will <laughs> leave that story for another day. Uh, now, Sean, if, if I asked you to make an Ethernet cable for me, would you be able to do that nowadays? I could. You want an A, a or a B standard? Oh, whatever. Yeah. Let, let's I'd have to B look standard. up the. I'd have to look up the color coding on the internet, but I have the gear <laughs> here. I could. I could punch down a punch down a cable for you. I. You know, I'll I'll test it before I give it to you. How about that? I run the cable All testing right. on it. We'll be sure it works. Uh, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Oh, that's great. Data. To be honest, one of the things that I learned during my data center life was that kind of stuff, making ethernet cables. I mean, you know, right. get, getting down below the floor, you know, you had the detachable <laughs> tiles with the tool right. and you rip them off and pop the tool out hundred percent. Yeah. No, totally right. The air conditioning's blowing. Do any how you had it set up there? I think I see Ferris has joined us here. So. Excellent. Nice to meet you, Ferris. Hey, Sean, nice to meet you. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, just uh, wrapping up the day and a good chat with Gordon. We're reminiscing about some of our data center days and how we're, our, our, our tech history is all morphed into Bitcoin in the, the future here. So, Oh, yeah, no, it was, I remember 2013, 2014, Gordon was telling me about Bitcoin and it was like most non-tech people just kind of went over your head. Um, but no, he's, uh, I've learned a lot from him <laughs> since then. It's a it's a brave no will for sure. And, and, and it's... Uh, and I, I'm sure he came by it honestly, coming from a data center background and looking at it, we've always looked at, and I've always looked at Bitcoin as that, you know, especially the Lightning Network, it's layer eight to the seven layer OSI stack, even though technically the layer eight is the human user. Let's forget all that. You know, it's layer eight. Bitcoin is the trust protocol of the internet. Money is that first use case and massive first use case. Like email was a yep. and communication first use case for TCPIP. Um, it's going to go way beyond just money. And, uh, and, and But we have a, a tremendous opportunity as the world has changed over the next 10 years. Uh, yeah. So- and this is what we're, sorry, going. I'll just jump in very quickly. Um, I'll probably just catch up here. Yeah. This is what we're finding more and more. And this is something I, I actually like to ask my people, people that we interview is coming from a tech side. It seems to me that 20, 2010 already the knowledge gap for people, new people coming into Bitcoin was huge. And it feels like as people are just starting to understand Satoshi's, they're starting to grasp, you know, we still get people thinking, oh, I have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Right. But now we've got Lightning Network, we've got all these other things, DeFi coming in, so much thing coming in. It feels like that knowledge gap is getting bigger and bigger. So for us, 
you know, we like to focus on the basics and it feels that is still so predominant. So yeah, that's just something that I, I've noticed coming from a non-tech perspective for, and I've kind of come to the point where I've said to people, you don't need to understand how mining works to appreciate Bitcoin. So don't worry about mining. Yeah, it's a complicated um, topic. Yeah. Yeah. And here in Vancouver, it makes it extra complicated because back in 2015, we were raising money for my first venture, which is often become it became a successful company on the stock market. But one of the things we did, we went to the local firms here. And Vancouver is a gold mining town. This is all about mining. It's a mining. It's mm-hmm. one of the mine. Vancouver and Toronto are the mining capitals of the world. If you're in mining, you must have. It's like it's like San Francisco. It's like that's what it does. You come here, it's all about gold. So we were actually in a, we we're trying to raise money and, we, and people asked us about Bitcoin mining. We're talking about analytics and we'd probably do a little mining to supplement our income. And we explained what I thought was a great explanation of Bitcoin mining at the time. And at the end of the conversation around the boardroom, uh, I got this look back on, well, do you have a 43101 report? And now for those who don't know what that is, 43101 is a resource report. That is how many ounces are in the ground. And I just sat there and I'm, we're in the wrong boardroom. We're in the wrong place. This is the wrong people we should be talking to. We just got asked for a, a reason. How many ounces we're going to dig out of the ground? Bitcoin mining. <clears throat> uh, true story. Good lesson. And uh, we found other capital, other places, and it worked out for us. So, Sean, how many Bitcoin Lightning is there out there? How many? That's a good question. How many Bitcoin Lightning are out there? Uh, I mean, how many Bitcoin are on the Lightning Network? There's over 3,000 Bitcoin, about 3,200 Bitcoin on the Lightning Network right now. They're sort of locked in the network or on channels, at least on the public channels. Uh, Liquid LQWD, as a company, we have 150 Bitcoin on our balance sheet that we're putting to work on the Lightning Network. So right, uh, if we get it all to play, we'll be about 5% of the current network. Um, but you'll you'll see more and more absorbed into the Lightning Network. Um and for users who don't know what the Lightning Network is or are a little confused about it, it's what we call Bitcoin's uh, layer two. It's a scaling solution for Bitcoin. So those familiar with Bitcoin, you've got um, a really secure network around, secured by all kinds of Bitcoin miners and all kinds of computational power all over the world, uh, ultra secure, trusted network, and it can, but it can handle about seven transactions a second. So it's fairly slow, but it's fine if you're trying to transfer lots of value and it's great for, for securing the network. What the Lightning Network does, it rides on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network uh, natively, and it allows you to scale Bitcoin from seven transactions into the millions of transactions per second and beyond. It will scale into the billions as, as the network continues to, to grow. And what happens is it's actually what they call a, um, there's channels and nodes. So let's, let's break that down. So a node is just a computer. That's all it is. Just a server running somewhere in the world. And while it's on that, you're running the open source Bitcoin Lightning Network software. And we, when you create that software, you create payment channels to other people running the Lightning Network software. And you have a series of these nodes all over the world. And they work kind of like the internet. So when you when you want to send money, it may go from hop to hop to hop until it finds its end destination and the person gets paid on the other end. Uh, very similar to when you want to bring up uh, Google.com, you may not necessarily go directly there. You may go through your internet provider and a few other steps until your data gets there and it comes back to you. It functions very similar to, to how the internet works. Um, and what the Lightning Network is unlocking Bitcoin's value. And the, one of the ways we look at it is... We always ask, you know, people ask, what's going to be Bitcoin's iPhone moment? What's going to be that killer app that's going to uh, transform Bitcoin and take it to the masses? And I've been thinking about it. I've been talking to people in the industry, but uh, really my take on it is the Lightning Network is Bitcoin's iPhone moment. And the trigger will be when the network matures to the point where liquidity and channel rebalancing is actually solved and working flawlessly 
the, the value of the network be unlocked and the Lightning Network, well, its true potential will really be rolled out around the world as, the, as a global payment system, as a global trust network. And it's going to absorb a lot of Bitcoin on it as it uh, um, continues to morph. So um, that's, I'll stop there in case there's questions. I, I don't. No, that's a fantastic explanation. And, and I, this is the Bitcoin Basics podcast. And Faris and I, our very last interview um, episode, actually, we interviewed um, Herman from uh, Bitcoin Akasi over in South Africa. So he's helping him and his team are helping uh, disadvantaged use and they're um, teaching them surfing, but they're also, you know, empowering them with life skills and, right. and other things as well. And they're using Bitcoin Lightning. So uh, it's actually timely that you're on. Um, because he's gave us, given us a real world use case uh, over in South Africa, and you're giving us perhaps at the opposite end of the spectrum another use case. Because I'm assuming there's a lot of institutional uh, transactions in that. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Yeah, I was just agreeing with you 100%. And you're seeing it down in El Salvador too, where I recently came back from where it's been adopted as a national currency and Lightning Network is allowing you to do those microtransactions. You can pay for a Big Mac using Lightning Network. Uh, and or you know, and certainly it's going to affect a lot of countries in terms of remittances. So you know, a lot of these countries, like at El Salvador, were about 20%, 27% of the GDP, a huge number. Um, I think it's 22, 27, a really uh, astronomical number of the country's GDP is comes from remittances from people uh, living, a, a lot of expats living in America, what sending money back. And they're using traditional means, so they're getting bled off. 15% of that gets bled off to you know rich rich institutions, it's corporations. Now the Lightning Network, they can they can save more of that money. And, and you're talking about the country where the average salary is between three and four hundred dollars US per month. So 15% of you know, a thousand dollars or five hundred—it's that's a significant amount of money when it comes to the like a place like that. So it's it will transform it, and I, I think you'll see other countries in that region start to adopt it as well as the year uh, goes on. And it's a, a great use case for uh, Bitcoin and Lightning Network. And it actually gets down to we look at you know in Canada and America and, and stable stable countries around the world where we we there's still trust in our currency and our economy. We don't necessarily see the importance of it per se. I may change the backend financial accounting and what have you, but when you get outside of our little bubble and you realize like if you're in Turkey right now and you're using the Turkish lira, well, you'd rather have Bitcoin because you're bleed, you're getting blood dry out of the Turkish lira. It's, it's losing, you know, it's lost half its value this year and it's continuing to plummet. If you were in Lebanon earlier this year, you got wiped out. Uh, and so Bitcoin is a... Uh, 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 a saving grace. We talk about it being volatile, but it has nowhere near the volatility that most of the world is used to. And uh, the, the, that's where it's going to continue to, the seeds will be planted and continue to grow and eventually morph back into the North American economy um, as the payment rails here are changed. Sean, just, just on that, and I, I want to talk about El Salvador, but is that the main use case for Lightning? I think a lot of listeners <laughs> to this show, we know about Bitcoin, we know it's got 10 minutes blocks. Uh, people have probably heard about Lightning. We know that you know Bitcoin's too slow for payments if you want to pay for coffee or micropayments. Is that the main use case for Lightning? So someone in El Salvador um, would adopt Lightning, a merchant, a customer, or whatever. Or are there other use cases? I know some, there's some gaming, and I know there's talk of exchanges using exchange to exchange transactions with Lightning. Like what is sure. what are, what are the use cases for Lightning? Hey, absolutely. So exchange to exchange, you know, the my previous company that uh, Netcoin is one of Canada's large exchanges, 
uh, we've signed an agreement with them so they can take deposits, Bitcoin deposits over Lightning Network. So what happens is they have instant deposits over Lightning Network once they finish the, the integration. And I think you're going to see more and more exchanges uh, as the network capacity and the maturity of Lightning Network happens. You can see more exchanges adopt it so they can have instant deposits, instant withdrawals. And you're, what you're going to see is um, better price discovery because you can now do true real-time arbitrage using the rapid fire lightning network to take advantage of price discrepancies on the exchanges. So you're going to see a little smoothing out of the price there. Certainly gaming um, and gamers have always been, you know, at the forefront of uh, in the Bitcoin space, um, but in-game payments uh, and the ability to actually, you know, do upgrades for whatever you, whatever you want and then take it with you. And there's even games where you can, you can earn sats and win sats within the game. And, and so those kind of things off of a, um, as opposed to, some of your traditional games where you pay for upgrades, you can't take it with, you can't sell. There's no, the economy's locked in its own token or what have you. Uh, you know, the gamers are demanding they, they want something else. And so it's going to become a, a part of that whole economy as well. So there's a many use cases uh, that are starting to unfold. And you're starting to see it also for people are talking about as anti-spam measures for chats and, and what have you. But I, I do think, uh, as speaking to Roy over at Breeze, and he's he's a big proponent of, like, we really need to make sure we stay focused on Lightning Network becoming a great payment uh, mechanism for Bitcoin and and hard money uh, first before anything else, and and we're not trying to turn Lightning Network into the internet. We're trying to onboard the internet onto Lightning Network and for payments and make sure we stay focused. And I agree with him that that's definitely the where the laser needs to be right now, and it'll be used in ways we don't know. It's an open architecture, open network, so people will use it in ways that we haven't dreamt up yet. But that's its first use case. It's very powerful. Uh, you know, fix the money, fix the world, but also change how trust is done around the world through a through this open architecture and um, oh, uh, you know the Bitcoin network and and that actually gets into some of the philosophies that we talk about in our company and you know, why Bitcoin and uh, as I mentioned earlier we see Bitcoin as that layer eight to the seven layer OSI stack for those who don't know what that is the internet is made up of seven technology layers and we call this the OSI technology stack and you're, we're using it right now to talk over Zoom and we use it all day long this is it's quite literally the technology that makes up the plumbing of the internet. And uh, and Bitcoin fits in there as this layer eight. It's, it fits in there as the trust layer. And we tried to do this back in the 90s and we actually, we failed. We centralized it. We just didn't have the technology to work with. Bitcoin came along as it solved that ability to create a digital timestamp using in the network and with no third party intermediary. And the money just happens to be the first massive use case because at the end of the day, money is trust. And so it really represents a fundamental shift to how um, the internet is going to function over the next 10 years. And it lays the groundwork for the change how trust is done online. And we look at some of these countries like El Salvador and other, other places around there, and we wonder um, through our entire lives why they just, they're mired in corruption, they're mired in, in third world poverty. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but ultimately it gets down to corruption in many ways. And so they're, they're highly corrupt countries. You can't get ahead there unless you are corrupt. So people leave to get a better life in, in America or other places. And this gets down to a theory I have. It's called you know, imperialism never died. It just simply morphed. And right now we have intellectual imperialism. We have for the last long, during the computer age and a long time, where we strip mine intellectual capacity from developing nations by offering them a better life. And who wouldn't take it? And so if you can actually use the Lightning Network and the Bitcoin Network as it continues to morph out over the, over the next 10, 20, 30 years as a way to reduce corruption, kleptocracies, uh, have sovereign rights, have sovereign banking, hard money, uh, property rights that mean something, and, and, and all these different aspects of trust, you can, re, you can raise an entire country up the corruption index, I mean, less corruption in there, and give a reason for their best and brightest to stay. And if they can retain their best and brightest 
over the course of three, four generations uh, throughout our lifetime and beyond, we have the chance to turn those countries around into much more productive and uh, give people a, a chance at uh, getting ahead and, 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 and change the dynamics of something that's just been going on for you know, hundreds for a very long time right mm. and uh it, that cycle could finally be broken and uh that's that's kind of the hope and so short term we have to do what's very practical there's certain things there but we we certainly hope that we'll we're planting the seeds and we'll grow into that hope that the future generations will stand under and it will change how the world works uh, i can agree with you more there sean um especially coming from an economics and political standpoint i think the uh, decentralization of finance is the next step. We had the decentralization of political power, decentralization of military power, and now we mm. are looking at the decentralization of finance. Um, looking at liquid, when Gordon and I first started looking at the liquid when it was coming out, so looking at purely from a practical point of view and an economist point of view, to me, Bitcoin was a long-term store of value. Uh, still early days for it to be daily currency. Right. Um, so I, you know, so going back a couple of years now, I'm looking at this thing like, okay, this is more of a gimmick that insiders will enjoy, but you want to hold on to your Bitcoins. You don't want to spend them on your lattes and your grocery shopping. So I thought, yeah, liquid, that's, you know, it'll be a nice gimmick. It'll take decades to catch on because people won't want to spend their Bitcoins because it could go up, you know, factor of however many, you know, right. 10 at a, a zero every two years. Why would you want to spend it? But looking at it now, um, so, and like we talked to this guy in, who's running this um, NGO in South Africa, they're paying people on the Lightning Network. And what they're finding is that um, they're spending their money less. So, and I've found this as well. I've been, and I'm not plugging anyone here, but I've been playing around with a Wirex card. And I find when I go to buy something at a grocery store, I have Bitcoin on my Wirex, and then I will transfer what I'm going to spend that day into New Zealand dollars. Now, I wouldn't do that in the past. I should always put on the credit card, worry about the credit card at the end of the month. But now it's like, okay, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy that because I'm spending Bitcoins. So I'm finding I'm using this thing more. So I'm using Bitcoin more and more every single day because I'm thinking if it's fiat currency, I'm going to, I'm just, not really thinking about it, but now I'm spending something that could go up in value. So I'm finding I'm spending less money because I've made the move to Bitcoin. Right. So that's just been a, sh a mental shift for me to go, okay, by moving the Bitcoin on a daily basis, not just a long-term store of value, I'm appreciating what I'm spending more on. So I suppose long way to get your question here, and I'm probably just talking more to give you a break, <laughs> is what has been your anticipation of how people will respond to the to the Lightning Network, and has it exceeded met, or what has been a surprise for you? Like, what did you expect the response to be versus how has it actually been? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think we're still very early days for Lightning Network, but we're at an inflection point. So I like the you know my my tech history is I like to play where the technology is not bleeding edge, but it's not quite mainstream. We can add a lot of value and build out almost almost in stealth because people are kind of confused about it. And then as the as it becomes more mainstream, we're building into this, this this wave. And what we're seeing, you know, in terms of the Lightning Network, this this year alone, the growth of the network itself has been about two hundred and four percent. So sizable growth, and we're seeing acceleration now. We're seeing more and more adoption. 
function uh, as the network as it becomes more and more mature. Now, certainly from my, uh, it, it solves that issue of like, how do you want to buy coffee if you want to be um, be paid uh, using Bitcoin? And I agree with you. A lot of people, certainly myself, we're cautious of where we want to spend our Bitcoin because we we know it's there, it still has a lot of value to be unlocked. But certainly, I, I, we we hear you know stories of people in Nigeria and certain El Salvador where that's becoming a circular economy and people want to be paid directly to their to their wallet and that their point of sale system is their non-custodial wallet uh, where they don't trust the banks and they're doing peer-to-peer then their economy starting to run off of that um, and so we'll we'll see more of that continue to, to power it forward but I mean some of it gets down to <clears throat> why Bitcoin has value excuse me why Bitcoin has value and, and and we hear a lot of you know well we're certainly there's the mining aspect we have all this computational power and return electricity into into sats and what have you but I, I have a, a, a you know yeah, that's all there. But I have a simpler view on that in terms of, um, you know, just the value of a protocol and why protocols are so important. And you look back, you know, sort of protocol changes over the years and they look back to, let's go back in history, you know, 1971, you know, processors come out, this big protocol, you know, they, and within 10 years, you have Apple and Microsoft being born. 10 years after that, you have the internet coming out, you know, TCP IP and the protocol. And within 10 years, you have Google and Facebook. And, and then 10 years after that, so 20 years from protocol to protocol, you have Bitcoin coming on. And within 10 years, now you've got the coin bases of the world and the Krakens of the world and the next institutions that will drive things forward. And, and so you look at the value of the protocol. When I look at it from just the perspective of saying, hey, like, I remember back in 98, 99, they, they, we looked at the internet and said, and I remember there was an article that came out and said, the internet's worth 180 billion US dollars. It would take Microsoft and Yahoo, the big tech firms, and this is what it costs them to rebuild it. <clears throat> Fast forward to 2004, Google goes public. We think the internet's worth uh, three, four trillion dollars by 2010. It's between 10 and 20 trillion dollars. And now, what do we look at? The, what's the value of the internet? It's an unfathomable number. You just cannot imagine. It's in the hundreds of trillions. Uh, and that's just the original seven layers of that that tech stack, the OSI stack that we talk about. So when we look at Bitcoin, say, okay, well, what's what's layer eight? What's the trust layer worth? Right now, we think the trust layer of the internet, which is going to change the entire plumbing in it, it's only worth a trillion dollars. Well, I don't think that's going to remain at that. <laughs> I think that value will be unlocked because now we have the ability to do trust, money, many other things, but ultimately trust, that trust protocol and where everything stems from that is going to be, um, that value will be unlocked and uh, it's going to it's going to happen rapid fire as, uh, as, you know, Bitcoin is just a continuation of the revolution of the internet. This is the next phase. And when we see it from there, we can start to see the, the impact it's going to have around the world. So I'm with you. There's definitely, we'll have more and more adoption and, and certainly people who need it. And there's that uh, immediate need. Uh, we're privileged to um, to have alternatives right now that work few mastercard visa you know mm. debit that we can tap things but a lot of a lot of places around the world and seeing it when you travel it's uh, it's not so feasible and there's so many uh you know there's a tremendous number of people around the world that don't have access to any financial services at all which is mm. just mind-blowing and so yeah. when, when will that actually take place when will um you know we look and i think what you have to do is we look at it from our company perspective at liquid um yeah, liquid fintech, we look at it from the adoption of the internet. So the internet is probably about a 92% penetration in, in North America, give or take. Uh, but in other places around the world, it's about 47%. So we talk about cash going away, but it won't go away until, until you have you know, tremendous, uh, until it's, there's internet everywhere uh, for digital money, but certainly in uh, you know Norway, places where it's it's everywhere, it may happen sooner. But um, the power of Bitcoin, the power of Lightning Network will follow the adoption curve of 
the internet itself because it is an extension and continuation of the revolution of the internet. And as there is more and more adoption of the internet through places around the world that need it, um, they're going to gravitate towards um, towards Bitcoin and hard money. Uh, and that's a fascinating point that I bring up a lot. So um, I recently had a conversation with a bunch of accountants here in New Zealand because they need some input on Bitcoin because more and more customers are getting into it, cryptocurrency. So they want to understand it some more. And this is exactly the point that I make to them. I say, you couldn't buy shares directly in the internet. You could buy shares in companies that use the internet. Right. With Bitcoin, you are buying a stake directly in this new technology. And that's 100%. why you can't look at the price of Bitcoin and go, well, that's insane. Because yeah, I remember, you know, I will show them a screenshot of someone on Twitter saying, Bitcoin's too volatile. I'm getting out at $14. Can't handle it. So yeah, well, you can't put a number, as you just said, you can't put a number on the internet. What is it worth? You can't do that. And this is what I say to people is I showed them exactly an adoption rate curve. And it shows all new technologies, the adoption rate. And right. when people look at, you know, Bitcoins, you know, $70,000, oh, I'm too late. Well, no, you're not when less than 10% of the global population is still using it. It's still still early days. Extremely so, early. Yeah, that's, I'm glad we record this because some of the stuff you just said, I'm probably going to use word for word into my presentations. <laughs> go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Uh, uh, and uh, before you hopped on here, we were just talking to Gordon. And one of the things I was, I was um, Roy over at Breeze, uh, Breeze uh, Wallet, Lightning Network, what great Lightning Network wallet from Breeze. Uh, he's one of our advisors. We love the wallet. We love the company. Uh, smart, smart group, smart team over there. And we were just, we were chatting on Telegram and and he's talking about the need, like, you know, Lightning Network is the way to onboard the next billion people into Bitcoin and really, and he's right. And we need to stay focused on that. And my, my, my comment to him back is, you know, we, um, we talk about the iPhone moment for Bitcoin. I think we mentioned this prior, but really the Lightning Network is Bitcoin's iPhone moment. And its trigger will be when liquidity and payment channels are mature and, uh, and, and functioning as they, that seamlessly and we don't and transactions work really really well that'll be the trigger for things and that'll happen in the next year and a half two years where it'll 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 uh they'll be never looking back and for your users who are don't know what that means so when we open up payment channel between each other so if uh gordon has a payment channel to ferris and i've got a payment channel to ferris and we're sending we can open up a, pay, a payment channel between each other and i can we have to put bitcoin on those payment channels so a technical requirement of the lightning network when you open a payment channel is you must have bitcoin locked onto that channel in order for it to work it is it's like table stakes it's required because the bitcoin is passed from hop to hop uh, by by the network itself and if it passes through a certain hop you may get charged a micro fee for for being handled uh, and, and sent off there so Ferris, you and I could have a payment channels open with each other. We get a one Bitcoin sent on there. We could do a million transactions with inside of an hour or whatever we choose back and forth. And there's a ledger on either side. And that ledger uh, keeps track of what the balances are. And we could decide at the end of that hour that we want to, we're done. Our business is done. We've we settled up and we can close that payment channel. And the final balance of our Bitcoin is written back as a single transaction back to Bitcoin's primary network as one transaction. So we just did a million transactions in Bitcoin, but the main main network, which we know is slow but ultra secure, registers that one final balance for each of your wallet and my wallet. So uh, when we talk about payment channels and liquidity, we must have enough Bitcoin on those channels because it gets sent from side to side, almost like an abacus where you're you're sending beads back and forth, and you want to make sure it's balanced. So 
this these these kind of things would be smoothed out and solved as it continues to mature. And when it does, uh, there'll be no looking back. This it will be uh, this will be the iPhone moment for Bitcoin and the entire industry. Yeah, I can't agree more. And um, I mean, me and Gordon were around during the whole block wars, and um, <laughs> and for me. Like my narrative for Bitcoin was based on trickle down economics in that um, it's going to be like what we're seeing now. You're going to have, you know, the guys that go in like the Charlie Shrems that get shot in the back and all that kind of got stuff. And now, right. and then what we're seeing now is a smart money coming in more hedge fund managers. You know, we had Pantera originally and all of this. So now we're seeing more and more smart money coming in. I thought by the time it, you know, you're going to go through to me, the, I thought the iPhone moment for me was when we replaced a petrodollar with Bitcoin, where oil is trading Bitcoins instead of US dollar, which makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would trickle down to the little guy eventually using Bitcoin. But we're not. We're seeing a groundswell where it's the little guys getting in now, especially thanks to Lightning Network. So it's completely changed my macro political opinion of Bitcoin, where it's not going to be the way we see things work. It's not going to be a trickle down to the little guy the little guys getting in before the big movers are getting in. So that's been really encouraging. And um, yeah, I agree with you. Stimulating for me to see. It, it, that's yeah. a really good way of putting out it for sure. And you're certainly seeing, uh, um, you know, regulations and you got, you know, uh, traditional financial institutions that are almost, they, they're somewhat beholden to what's going on out there. And, the the network effect what's happening with Bitcoin and Lightning Network and uh, all these kind of things it's like it's like water seeping through you know the governments can't they can only clamp it down for so long before it's just a, it's a groundswell and um, it's it is the sound of inevitability it is unstoppable and you hear the bluster out of Washington right now and you hear all the you know we're gonna regulate Bitcoin we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we heard this back in um, back in the in 2002 2003 2000 where you know politicians like we're gonna shut the internet down the internet's evil um, we gotta tax it we gotta regulate it, we can do all these things, and they're all trying to score political points. At the end of the day, that you know, you it's really tough to stop technology, which is um, true open architecture where anybody can use it. There's really no, you know, like the internet, anybody can use it. There's no real central body for it, and uh, uh, it's t- it's really tough to fight against that. And ultimately, you're talking about technology, which is 10x than anything else that's out there. And when you got something which is 10x or 100x better than anything else, so people are just naturally going to gravitate towards it, and uh, it is it is the sound of inevitability, which is coming down the tracks here, and it's unstoppable. So governments, it, you know, they're talking about central bank digital currencies. We know China has kicked out all the miners. Um, as recently on uh, NTD TV, a Chinese company that did a Skype thing, because Skype's the only thing that could work over there to get to them. And basically just said, you know, the Chinese government has made a, a major geopolitical mistake here, which will become very evident. In 10 years, they've handed the wind to North America. They've handed the wind to America and other Western nations as Bitcoin miners have, have, have fled. Um, and uh, ultimately, it's not a bad thing. I, I love. I prefer to see uh, Western nations have more of the mining power, and, and at least they're democratic at some level, <laughs> for the most part, and uh, as opposed to a, a communist nation um, where we're at, at the whim. But is you know, Bitcoin's the honey badger, and it just keeps trucking along, and uh, it will not be stopped. Yeah, um, China mining Bitcoin is like sending your kids to the root, their room. You're just going to see them at the table an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> totally right. So yeah, it's a it's a huge mistake. I know they're trying to get their they're not their their own central bank digital currency. They wanted to try to break sanctions and the U.S. dollar and 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 take over from the petrodollar and all those types of things there that are there. But and America will push back with its own central bank digital currency. But at the end of the day, 
Uh, I, just as we saw the maturation of you know Bitcoin mining going from individuals to corporations, uh, you know I think Max Kaiser talks about it going to nation states, and it's, it is inevitable that nation states will try to get hard money. There's a there's a, and and be a, be a part of that, and they'll back their you know, the U.S. The U.S. wants to fix its its issue and in, in um, with its dollar and inflation, uh, it it really needs more hard hard assets backing it effectively, right? So you can buy you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy gold. Um, I mean, and that's a very simple that's an oversimplification for sure for what's going on there. But uh, ultimately, uh, uh, people need to trust in what's in that currency, and we'll see how uh, how it plays out. I don't see the U.S. dollar going away anytime soon. Uh, it's very, in the United States, it's very tough to collect. Uh, it's very tough to knock off a superpower. And I look back to, I, think, I believe the story, you know, it, it was uh, Chile back in the 30s. They owed, they owed Germany a lot, of, a lot of money, a lot of debts. And uh, Germany collected by sending in their Navy and knocking on the bank store and taking the gold literally at force uh, with their Navy parked off. The, uh, off. And really, the reality is who's going to collect from the United States? No one's going to collect from the United States. That's not going to happen. Um, but I mean, you know, America is amazing. It's a and it's a democratic country. It'll adopt and it'll take on Bitcoin at some point in time, and it'll continue to to truck along. Um, in some ways, that whole fifty states all competing with each other, and it's it's a little messy at times. But eventually, it finds its way. And I look at Bitcoin as you know, it's Bitcoin represents you know the separation of state and money. It represents democracy, but democracy is messy at times. And sometimes you get polarized views, but eventually you find your way down the center path and continue to make steps forward. It's slower than uh, um, you know communism, other places like that. But eventually it finds it that way where it should be. And and uh, Bitcoin is is what you know represents democracy, and it's uh, it's going to find its way to the heart of America. That's very kind words from coming from a Canadian. <laughs> that's that's so funny you say that. We have such an interesting relationship with uh, with the United States, and I, I spent a lot of time down in Washington D.C. and and uh, a lot of lot of lot of stuff going down down there. We have this weird relationship with America. America's kind of like uh, that older cousin or older brother that you 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 love and you follow everywhere, and you guys go on crazy adventures together. But then every now and then it turns to you and says, "Hey, hold my beer, watch this." And you're like, "Oh, don't do that. Mom's gonna be really mad." <laughs> <laughs> we need that to live. So in Canada, we tend to be more the voice of reason with our American brothers. And uh, but uh, ultimately, we are and you know, we are proud of our military here, and we punch far above our weight for what we're capable. But we're keenly aware that we sleep under the freedom and we sleep under the under the eagle's wing every night, and we're grateful for that. Fantastic. Yeah, I think every country's got sort of a big brother, little brother, <laughs> younger brother uh, sort of relationship in neighboring countries, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, just going back to El Salvador, and and you can bet that all the countries around it are looking at El Salvador. You know, they're mining off geothermal energy from volcanoes, and you know, f- forget about the short short term volatility of Bitcoin. I mean, in five years' time, if Bitcoin's two hundred thousand, you can bet Honduras and Panama and all these sort of countries are looking at that, saying, "Hmm, where our our currency is just being deflated," and uh, look at. What's happening in in El Salvador? Hundred percent, so. yeah. And apparently, their president is very popular in the you know the surrounding countries because they're you know they, he's kind of put El Salvador on the map. And 
And uh, I, I see that, you know, you can see Harderas or, or Guatemala or Kawaka, one of these taking on uh, Bitcoin the same way and, and, and getting into that. And starting to see that groundswell happening there. That's my prediction for the next country that will take it on, one of those in that area there. But uh, it seems natural that it will bleed over, but um, we'll see how it plays out. Not, not to so, mention other developing countries like, uh, you know, in hmm. Africa and, and, and where I am in Southeast Asia as well, um, amidst the uh, perhaps different styles of government. And chatting over Zoom, I can't say too much about that, but yeah, they're very, very anti-Bitcoin here. Now, um, Sean, I, I know you're a late comer to Bitcoin. You only got in in 2012. So um, a lot of people to this podcast, I have to mention this every podcast. I don't know if you heard about it, but there's this thing called Ripple XRP, which is very cheap and it's very fast. So why would someone want to use the Lightning Network? Yeah, Ripple. I mean, uh, it's funny. Uh, Ripple will do what Ripple does. Um, you know, I, I'm betting on uh, Bitcoin Lightning Network because Bitcoin Lightning Network is true open architecture, where it's not. There's no central control. Where Ripple is, uh, you know, there's there's central bodies, and and they're trying to you know replace Swift and replace the banking uh, the banking layer. Uh, I've talked to. Um, the chairman of SBI about it and and one on one and stuff like that. So they're they're keen on it, and uh, it's really a, for me it's of no interest because it's not. I do not see it as an extension of the internet. It is not an internet technology. It's riding on top of the internet, but it's not true open architecture. It's not the trust layer of the internet. It will not replace uh, hard money. Um, you'll still be holding to corporations. It doesn't mean they don't have some tech that has the value there. I, I do separate. I'm a bit of a maximalist, but I separate my thinking of Bitcoin money, what it is between you know people that may issue a token, but it represents a startup and it's it treated more like a stock and, and certainly XRP. Um, I know they got a lot of fanboys, and as we call it, and uh, a lot of people who like it. But I, it's it for me, it has zero interest because I do not see it as uh, internet technology. Yeah, and I'm I'm obviously being quite sarcastic for those. Yeah, of course, listeners. yes. <laughs> um, we're we're totally Bitcoin maximalists, and and I'm 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 a developer as well. I mean, I've just finished a course, and you know, I've dabbled, you know, back in the past with Ethereum and. May have even invested in some of the altcoins, shitcoins, and whatnot. And some of them are interesting, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you always come back to Bitcoin. And this is something that Faris says all the time. You know, you've got the smartest minds working on Bitcoin. You've got the smartest community, and there isn't a week that goes by with an NFT or a new coin. Like, oh my God, have you seen this coin? And they're doing oh, ten thousand transactions a second. And I'm like, yeah, but no one's using the network. Like, try and put some actual traffic on the network. 100%. And of course, it's cheap. So um, yeah. just, just on that, um, and, and by the way, listeners, um, we have done episodes on liquid and liquid versus lightning. So this may be confusing. We have done episodes on Blockstream's liquid, and now we're talking to a lightning liquidity company. Is that the best way? Yeah, and we're called liquid fintech. So and our liquid is spelled LQWD, the same as our Toronto Stock Exchange ticker. And so a lot of people just call it, they call it, hey, LQWD, we call it liquid. Uh, but we're, we're liquid fintech, where liquid, the network is spelled the traditional liquid way. And, and that's a private network to do some Bitcoin transactions between companies and, and what have you. But we're, you know, so is that we're, we're what, the different. Is that, is that basically what you're trying to build? Is that are you providing liquidity or? Join our Bitcoin Basics community in our new Telegram group at bitcoinbasics.help/telegram. 
No ads, no altcoins, shitcoins, no other nonsense, only Bitcoin information, education and discussion at bitcoinbasics.help slash telegram. No, no, you are correct. So we, uh, to, to answer your question, so we were known as called an LSP, a Lightning Network Service Provider. So we have a platform as a service we worked on some time. It's a B2B platform. It's designed for institutions. And it's a way for them to hit a button and be able to spin up nodes and channels, tap into our routing nodes, our liquidity, and be able to get and make it very easy for them to integrate an API so that their exchange or wallet or what have you can uh, can get on the, the Lightning Network. What we want is we want them to use our platform and be able to route through our our, our, our Lightning Network nodes, and uh, we we charge micro fees for some of that routing, like all like all nodes do or most nodes do, and um, that's how that's our business model from there. So we're really focused on making as a big a footprint as we can on the Lightning Network with as many nodes and channels, and putting as much Bitcoin to work as we can. And so we raised today 13 million. We bought 150 Bitcoin. Uh, we're, wow. we're rolling out more enterprise stuff, or we're putting more and more Bitcoin. It's all earmarked for that, and we're our target is to get to a, at least a thousand Bitcoin and continue to drive liquidity and help solve that that issue. So when I was down in El Salvador for the Adopting Bitcoin conference, yes, we're an LSP, but in many ways we're a liquidity as a service provider. So we make it easy for companies to to get that. And to that end, we've announced that. So one of the main wallets, Breeze, is actually connected to us, and we're helping to provide liquidity to it and what happened. Oh, awesome. I was going to ask you which wallet, but you've answered that already. Breeze wallet. Yeah, um, that's almost done. We're working on that. The teams are talking to on Telegram and we're, we're, we're getting close to the where we like the, the awesome. times. We're gonna, and that's our model uh, for now. And we'll continue to um, to look at the future or where we're going to go, but it's all we're all Bitcoin, all Lightning Network. Awesome. And and a lot of listeners to this show, they're, they're familiar with Bitcoin and they might even have Bitcoin, but they're maybe not so familiar with Lightning. With Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin, you want to send it, or you have some sats, you send it to another person, you know, it's it's done. It may be a little bit slow, although, you know, we compare it with the SNF, SWIFT network and it's not slow. But right. with Lightning, why is liquidity such a big deal and channel balancing? And maybe you could just go through maybe someone who hasn't used Lightning before, but they have Bitcoin. Like, what are the differences, perhaps? Right. So, I mean, the, the liquidity on the network. So, what happens is you you have to have, like we mentioned prior, you have to have Bitcoin locked on the channel, and it gets used to actually route forward payments. So, if a payment goes through, say, six hops, we we know the hop that has to go to next. We don't know the end, end point. That could be the end point. It may continue, but we have to be able to forward the Bitcoin from hop to, to the next route to the next route, and and each hop has to have enough Bitcoin on it in order to, to facilitate the. Um, uh, the transaction. So for small transactions, it's very likely to, to to succeed. If you're talking about large transactions, well, certainly if you're talking about you know millions of dollars, you just you should just use the Bitcoin primary network. But for small transactions, that's what the Lightning Network's for. Uh, and the more Bitcoin, the more channels that are open, the more capacity we'll have to handle bigger and bigger transactions. And so we have this imbalance of thing. Well, once we have a, a, uh, the channels are set up where Bitcoin is sent from point A to point B, and you have your rest of your Bitcoin you sit, sitting at point B, you have to get them back to point A at some point to balance the channels to make sure that the Bitcoin can continue to go both ways. So think of it like an abacus where you've, you've taken beads from one side of the, the, the abacus and you pushed it to the other side of the abacus. At some point, you've got to get them back so you can continue to push things back and forth. Uh, and there's some things like the way they have, they call, there's, like, there's pools, there's loop, there's things where you can actually send the Bitcoin back to yourself. And kind of, there's, there's things that are being worked on to, to smooth that out. Um, there's some really smart minds working on the, the channel rebalancing issue. Um, and it's getting more and more mature. And, and, and certainly, so one, just having more Bitcoin on the network, having a liquidity provider like us to step up and say, we'll make sure it's it, it, we have uh, we have deep pockets and capacity. And then two, from a technology standpoint, uh, solving how the 
how we can uh, the Bitcoin can get rebalanced across the channel and seamlessly uh, without anybody, well, a human involvement. Right now, there's actually some involvement in it, uh, but the network's becoming much more mature and there's more software out there to automate this process. And as it hits that inflection point, that's when the network will be truly, truly useful. So I, I tried to set up a Bitcoin Lightning node a couple of years ago, and, and I consider myself fairly technical. You know, I can run a Linux server whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's pretty challenging, number one, to set it up, and number two, to maintain it, to be honest. It was a complete pain in the ass. Right. Um, that was a couple of years ago. Is that what you're providing, kind of like an Amazon AWS for businesses to sort of plug in and hundred percent. That is exactly what uh, LQWD does. Liquid FinTech does. And so it's, and but it's designed for enterprise. So there's other companies out there like Voltage. We, we talk, we talk to them and there's other products where you can, you, if you're a consumer and they do some business stuff as well. And there's also Umbral, which is great for end users. There's some other things now where it's much more plug and play, but to your point, yeah, even two years ago, I, I consider myself really technical and I'm like, there's a lot of steps here. To getting a node set up properly and then managing and maintaining it, uh, but that just gets down to the seasoning of the network and uh, uh, and the technology. And we're seeing it getting you know there's companies like ours that are stepping in to make it easier and easier. And the core development is making it easier and easier to 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 manage it. But uh, it certainly was not easy a couple of years ago, um, but it's gotten 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 a lot better and will continue to improve. Sean, sorry, just a while ago, you mentioned LSP. Is that liquid service provider? Is that what that means? Um, that, that, yeah, that's kind of what well, they call it, the lightning network service provider. So lightning service lightning provider. Network, yeah. It's okay. kind of like yeah. it's kind of like an ISP back in the 90s where, you know, it makes it very easy to get on the internet. They provide you the software, yeah. you hit a button, you get, you're on the internet. Um, you hear the that's brilliant. You hear yeah. the modem, the modem go off. But, uh, you know, our model, that's part of our model. Uh, we like that, but that's only part of our model, really for us. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, enterprises, yeah, we make money off the enterprise, but the hosting is a, is a small component. We want the routing. We want the routing fees. We want as big a footprint on the network as we can have, and we want to support the network that way. That's where we see where you're going to have this rapid, we see rapid growth of the Lightning Network itself. So we had you know, a 200% increase this year. But when we look at even the fee models itself, the fees are really, really small right now. You're not earning a lot. Um, and so it's a, it's a volume-based type of thing. But I do see, like the Bitcoin network, the fees will normalize to a, a more economical sense. It doesn't mean they're going to be expensive, but they'll certainly normalize. And we saw this with Bitcoin when it came out in 2009, in 2009, 2010, the, the Bitcoin fee went up 10,300%. Sounds like a lot, but it ended up being, you know, instead of being a fraction of a tiny, tiny fraction of a penny, it ended up being 20 cents. And then from 2012 to 2014, it went up another 1,300%. Uh, I see the future Lightning Network fees being, you know, anywhere between one and three percent of whatever a, a main uh, the main network fee is on a non-congested Bitcoin network. So if it's trading at, at twenty cents, it could be a half a penny for a transaction, or even a quarter penny, or what have you. But it will be um, uh, much more um, economical for LSPs and node operators, and it will start to morph into the, the the world of more professional companies coming in and putting a lot of resources behind it. We just happen to be one of the earlier ones in it. And, and um, it'll it'll create more um, a, a better network experience for everybody and people will use it and they'll just continue to work seamlessly behind the scenes. As far as the adoption, Sean, is there a specific <laughs> industry group of people um, or is it wide ranging as to who's picking up on um, on liquid? Pretty wide ranging. I mean, gamers are definitely taking it on. It's going to be embedded in games. Uh, certainly, the remittance industry, uh, and there's no, there's a lot of startups hitting the remittance industry, and they're using Lightning Network. You'll continue to see that. But let's not forget that payments is a massive use case. 
and it's just a massive use case. You just can't get away from it. Um, and it really, it, it, that's the one that's going to drive it for all the others is just um, on the periphery for now, but it's going to be, it will be continuation of payments as a, as a rolls out. And I think I know the answer to this open source, <laughs> but why did you guys decide to build on lightning? Like you, you had a choice, you maybe DOI create your own layer two payment solution or sidechain or something like that, or you could have, done something like Blockstream Green or join with them? Like why, why Bitcoin Lightning? Yeah, well, Bitcoin Lightning, it's native to Bitcoin. I mean, you're basically transferring from main network to layer two. It's all Bitcoin. We're not trying to create another token. We're not creating another Rails. And, and trying to create that network effect is one of the magical things that Bitcoin has. And and, and Lightning Network is riding, riding off of that. And it's it's very tough to get that network effect. And once you hit that escape velocity, um, it's it's near impossible to stop. And uh, it, it's it's also very difficult to get to that point. Um, and so we're, we're, you know, and plus you're also using uh, Bitcoin itself, which is the hardest mm. you know, native digital currency of the internet. And we're not reinventing some other token, what have you. No, hats off to Ethereum. I'm not anti-Ethereum. Um, I, I, I kind of look at them because from back in my history, I look at them as sort of the, the Netscape of our time uh, in the sense that, when Netscape Navigate, for those who don't know, they weren't born then, but back in the night of the internet, Netscape Navigate came out. It was like the first real web browser where you could actually visualize the internet. It actually came alive. You're like, wow. So they're doing command line, sending email off command line, and you had to be really techy. You could actually kind of see the internet, and it really worked. And it it, it captured everybody's imagination and uh, what have you. And they, they took it far, but ultimately they died the death of a thousand cuts, and, um, and they were forced, you know, trying to develop technology while well, I was still in its infancy and what have you. And um, the, the, the similarities with Ethereum is that Ethereum sort of came along and it captured everybody's imagination. Sunday, you could actually program for smart contracts. You could do cool things. And, um, you know, the, the, you can you can pick Ethereum apart if you like, but ultimately, I think it's really helped propel that component, uh, that part of it forward. Now, will they die the death of a thousand cuts? Well, I, I think if they switch from proof of work to proof of stake, they're going to lose their edge. The proof of stake is, um, I was talking to Obi, one is down at uh, El Salvador, and he had a great take on it. He was like, you know, once they switch over there, that mode is gone. And, you know, would it be Cardano or, um, you know, whatever smart, take, take a smart contract network. Um, once it's all proof of proof of stake, it's really just a race to the bottom in terms of fees. It gets people don't care whether it's centralized or decentralized, just want it to work fast. And so now you're just talking, you could switch from network to network and there's not a lot of moat around it. Um, and then and I like the way you was thinking in terms of that, in terms of, you know, you break out Bitcoin, it's proof of work and you need to compare it to other proof of work networks. And they're very, very different. And, um, you know, it's, I, I would think it's, uh, uh, unfortunate um, to give up that uh, that mode and now whether their layer two solution works and is able to be ruled out it's it's you know we'll see if they can do it or not and they might sur- continue to survive uh, of note i've you know i've heard stuff where if, you know lighting network is effectively a smart contract network because the smart contracts allow you to open channels and, and create invoices and, and what have you um you can see at some point in time where there you may have it uh, tokens running across the lightning network so if you can imagine lightning network being able to handle millions of transactions a second with very small fees all native to bitcoin and people being able to issue tokens across them you can certainly see that being an ethereum killer uh and any of these smart contract killers it's because you can use bitcoin as the as the hardest the most native digital currency for the internet um, and so we'll see how that plays out, but that's definitely a possibility. And uh, I don't, I'm not trying to badmouth Ethereum. I, I think what they've done is incredible, but um, they, there's still challenges and they're effectively working on a, a big network that's got a lot of things to solve and yeah, it just takes time, right? 
move fast and break things, which is fine if you're doing <laughs> uh, apps or websites or something right. like that. But when you're looking at uh, replacing, you know, fiat currency, um, yeah, I, I, that... I'm all for Ethereum's innovation. And, and by the way, we've had smart contracts on Bitcoin since day zero. Um, mm-hmm. Bitcoin, essentially, every exactly. time you send a transaction is a smart contract. But that's, Correct. Hun- correct. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. A lot of people don't get that. And that's really a key point. And, and the Ethereum just took it, made it Turing complete. So there, you can do more, you know, you, it's they're trying to make it a more complete computer computerized experience if you want to call it that but um uh i, I don't see bitcoin as money you can't roll the network back you can't have you know it, it has to be truly descent real kind has got that weird it just came out and got its own grassroots and there's no real head to it there's no one that you know it's it really is like the internet where it's just continued to morph and build and it's hit its escape velocity so now, I have many questions. We could talk about Taproot and Metcalf's Law and all kinds of stuff, but um, two, two questions, one serious. Uh, with your Christmas video, where did you get your hodl on red wine? <laughs> okay, that's special wine. So uh, uh, Janice is in charge of our media, uh, media relations, stuff like that. So we're very fortunate. Up in Vancouver, we're very close to LA. They call Vancouver Hollywood North. There's a lot of films that get done here. A lot of Hollywood production up here. So there's a tremendous amount of talent uh, to do really high production. And we're blessed that we're, we're, we're signed up with a great company and a great team. And there's the, and, and right in the heart of it that we were able to find people who could do a tremendous job. And so they put all together the props that came up with the, the bunch of the idea. And I just kind of sat up there and did my thing. So Hotline Wine doesn't exist. It's a label, uh, um, but uh, you know, maybe someday. You should have your liquid uh, red one or a liquid Merlot or something. <laughs> liquid Merlot for sure. Absolutely. We've been asked about our jerseys. I've seen people saying, hey, we're going to buy the jersey. So we talked to uh, the, the team this week and said, maybe we should put a little uh, Lightning Network store up on our website. People can buy our jerseys if they want to pay over there the Lightning go. Network. Um, we'll, but we have, a, we have a bunch of other priorities to, to get to before yeah. building out the uh, jersey selling. But we'll, we'll look at that. And, but thank you for the feedback on the, on, the, uh, on the video. I hope you liked it. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Uh, a lot of inside jokes. So, but uh, yeah, I got them. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, by the way, do people get confused? Um, I know, you know you've, you, you're a multi-million dollar company whatnot, but do people get confused with Blockstream's liquid? I know because we're so we're so different on our logo. It's LQWD, and we call ourselves Liquid, but ultimately we are LQWD, and we're we're an LSP. So, um, you know, we I, I don't know the Blockstream guys. Uh, we I've never really met them, but um, you know, we get out in the ecosystem. Um, there's actually quite a few companies that use the native Liquid in it, and a bunch of them are in uh, crypto and Bitcoin and remittances. So that is not I I didn't want to use that name because it's, I felt it was too generic. And mm. from a branding and a marketing standpoint, we want people to say, hey, what's LQWD? Besides, LQWD right. is our Toronto Stock Exchange ticker. Right. That's our ticker symbol. So, you know, you can say what you want, yeah. but take it up with the take it up with the Toronto Stock Exchange. We like the ticker. <laughs> it, it matches our company. And uh, we uh, we we call it liquid for for uh, for sake of uh, um, but we're liquid fintech. So liquid the network well, will do what it does. I like your LSP though, like internet service writer, liquidity or lightning service writer. I mean, that's perfect. It explains exactly. 100%. Exactly yeah, exactly. Doing, yeah. Uh, I have two more questions. And I'll be really quick. One is um, what is a certified cryptography investigator? 
Oh, is that on my profile still? Uh, it is. So it's, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So actually my, my previous company, it's blockchain intelligence group. It actually has uh, a full course. It's been taken by a lot of uh, law enforcement, a lot of uh, uh, regulators and people who work in any money laundering for banks and institutions. And we actually teach them how to use products like Clue and BitRank, which are AML products for the crypto industry uh, that these institutions require, are required to use. And, and there's a whole course talking about dark web investigations, how to do it and, and, and get down that. We've, we've spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Uh, with, with uh, uh, big, it's, it's now under big digital assets. It's also a public company um, that hit a billion dollar market cap in, in, the, in the spring and, uh, and, and owns netcoins.ca, which is one of Canada's largest exchanges and fully regulated. So that's a, a product line within there. And, and uh, since I was the executive chairman of that company, I felt I should probably take the company's course. I could do it in my sleep, of course, because Clue and Bitrank are my, uh, my brainchild, but um, just wanted to have it there. And I, I don't know if I'll keep it on my, my profile for, for, for uh, forever. I forgot if it's even on there. But, uh, <laughs> a lot of Bitcoiners might be upset with that, but uh, you know, regulation yeah, and kind of stuff's unnecessary. Uh, it's reality, right? I mean, sir, I'm, you know, when I was maybe in my, my 20s, I'd be, all, I'd be all upset about that and all passionate about it. But as you know, I'm in my 40s and you, you, know, you, you want to change the world, but you have to, you know, you're not going to bring Wall Street, you're not going to bring institutions, and you're not going to bring any. They're not, you're not going to bridge that initial gap. How do you get to a fully decentralized step? You have to go through the first step of how do you bring traditional finance into it and, and capital and, and what have you. So there are certain rules and regulations. And I think, or as we mentioned prior, the, um, no company in the public markets is going to accept Bitcoin if they can't have some kind of compliance software. And the reason is very simple, is that uh, if, they to get, if they get fined for banking regulations, they get fined because they took Bitcoin and they didn't have reporting around it, uh, the directors and the officers potentially put themselves up being personally liable to shareholder lawsuits. No director, officer of a company in their right mind is ever going to do that. And so you have to have that, that stuff for them to make that next step. Um, you know, things will change over time here and we'll continue to have a separation of church, uh, state money. And, um, and, and that's exciting. But we, we have to do the, the pragmatic steps in between there, even if they're uh, unpleasant or we, you know, it doesn't fit our, uh, our view of the, what we want the world to be. We have to work towards it. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about uh, being pragmatic. And that's why we're using Zoom because, you know, centralized <laughs> company and whatever, they still offer the best sort of podcast recording. And this is going to be public anyway. It's not private. So. Yeah, they're great. So, I mean, I, I agree. There's, there's certain things that um, some, some things just do well and centralized central works better. And uh, yeah. We, not, not decentralizing everything doesn't necessarily make sense, right? Yeah, for most things, yeah, but for some things. And, and again, going back to that regulation, I mean, Ethereum, again, another whole new topic, is one phone call away from, you know, Vitalik or the Ethereum Foundation. It's like, you know, um, that's the beauty of Bitcoin that I see. The best thing that Satoshi did after he, he she, it, they created Bitcoin was to quit and leave. Yeah, it's uh, it really is a, a unique story in itself. There, there's no central um, central people to go after, and um, it, it's it, it is a you know it's a it's a true open architecture where nobody is a, a, at the helm, and it's a very rare thing to have, and it uh, it represents hard money and the and part of the future how trust will be done. So it's very exciting to see, and uh, I'm very grateful to be uh, being a part of it for since 2012, and it's amazing to see how it's gone over the next. Or the last you know, nine years of, you know, I guess started in 2011, so 10 years um, of being aware of it. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, the world's going to be changed over the next 10 years in a big way. And, and ultimately, 
<laughs> I like to talk. I talk to bankers. So as part of my, my time with blockchain intelligence group and compliance stuff, we talked to bankers. I was in New York and I had a conversation with a bunch of bankers there. And it was a private, there was about like 30 bankers in there. Can't remember the building, but it was a private event. And we asked them, what do you think your um, your risk is with Bitcoin? What do you think your risk is? And they're like, well, it's it's all compliance software. We don't want to get fined, you know, anti-money laundering and all these things. Like, no, companies like ours already solved that problem for you. <laughs> your risk right now is in action. Because you don't understand that Bitcoin represents an extension and the trust layer of the internet. And you have to ask yourself, how long it's going to be until Google and, and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple wake up and realize that they can get into banking. And now they have the mm. perfect network to do it with. And with a lightning network, they can do it at scale. And they have access to everybody's mobile phones. They have unlimited funds. They just have unlimited funds. They have worldwide reach. And the most important thing that they have is they have armies of developers that are born and bred into a culture of disruption that are looking at Wall Street and the 600-year-old banking industry, and they want to turn it on its head. This is coming. Your fight right now, in the next five to 10 years, you'll be competing directly with Silicon Valley. And you and some of you guys are going to go under. Some of you guys are going to be, you know, you're going to be the Sears of the day where, you know, click them order and all that stuff. And then Amazon destroyed them. And some of you guys are going to, be, you know, go out and buy tech companies and stay in the race. Some of you guys are going to get it, get it early. Um, but ultimately, this is your fight. And, and just as the internet transformed a bunch of industries in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, Bitcoin as an extent to the internet is going to transform finance. It's going to turn Wall Street on its head. Oh, absolutely. And this is not blowing smoke, but um, you're doing the right thing by developing on open source. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the argument was, you know, should I use, you know, Windows or this or right. with databases, should I use Oracle? This Open source has already won. It's not like there's still a debate about it. So yeah, right. developing on open source, open standards, open architecture, open technology. That's why I love Linux and people you know, get sick of me saying that, but it's, you know, open source money is Bitcoin, open yeah, source payments is lightning. A hundred percent. That is exactly right. And I learned my lessons early when I was, uh, before we were on the call, when I was 26, we were, we were doing analytics stuff back in the nineties. We we're building out the search and all kinds of stuff for, for, for companies. And we decided to, instead of doing it on Perl, or an open source language. And we were looking at Perl, we had Perl developers at the time. We ended up using Microsoft C. Now there's a place for Microsoft C, but back in the time they had SDKs or I can't remember what it was, but specifically there was a bug in the language and the language was closed source. So we couldn't fix it or find a fix for it. And after spending months of building, going down a certain path, we had a really big problem when we were forced to back it out and it caused a huge issue. And that lesson was not lost on me. It was very painful. And uh, this is why open source is where we want to be. So we're not beholden mm -hmm. to a tech. Now it's, it's important that Microsoft, these guys, they open source a lot of things now and they, they get yeah. it yeah. Um, because if they don't, you just leave them behind because there's no reason to be beholden to any of these companies. So last question. Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead, Gord. No, I was no, just going to say very last question for me. Um, uh, where I could go on and on asking you about lightning or whatever. I'd love to have you back on the show, Sean, and, and we could maybe perhaps do a, a, a version two to see where lightning is developing. Um, Sounds good. But you, you can come back on the show, but you can't mention the word Perl because that's just a, a trigger <laughs> a word trigger, for me. It's a trigger word. For um, <laughs> last, last question from me. Um, and a lot of people listening to this, they might have Bitcoin, they might not, and they've maybe even heard about lightning. How could that get started? And I guess I'm talking about individuals here. How could they maybe play with the Lightning Network and sort of get their feet wet? Yeah, if they're a little bit technical, I would I would uh, look at the um, look at Umbral. 
as a as a download where they can get unrolled. They just Google that. If they if they don't know that uh, and they want to do business to consumer, uh, look at Voltage and, and then the guy Graham over Voltage. They run a great uh, thing there, so you can hit a button. It's, I think they've got nodes that are five or ten bucks, and you can you can spin it up. Uh, we we ourselves are focused on strictly enterprise, and we're just B two B. We're just looking to exchanges and made, and those kind of players. That's where we're putting our 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 resources. So we're not a fit for that, but we're certainly um, those are areas we can get into it very quickly. And then um, you know get yourself a wallet like Breeze Wallet. That's B R E Z or Z, depending which country you're from. And uh, it's a great uh, open source non custodial wallet. And there's a few others you, you can Google for certainly uh, for for uh, Lightning Network wallets, but that's one that I use. And I have a personal relationship with Roy and the team over there. So I'm talking my own book, but ultimately I do love the product. Um, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a good one to use. And it's, um, it, it's a way to get in there and just start to, you know, yeah. It, we like at the early days of Bitcoin, when you first got into, you almost had to break your teeth a little bit, you know, you sort of had to suffer. Uh, and but Lightning Network is getting easier and easier where you don't have to suffer. It's getting much more streamlined where it's it's becoming that. But um, if you, I've always encouraged people if you like this space and you wanted to learn more about it, one of the best things you could do is actually, um, especially back in the day, but even now, get into some Bitcoin mining. Even if you're buying like a a, a low end miner or a home based miner, I think I can't remember the company that does it. It's a futurist or, or um, but there's some low end miners you can run at home that, that run under 200 watts and uh, it. Even if you're not earning a lot of uh, Bitcoin, you're going to be engaged. It's going to force you to understand Bitcoin mining pools and Bitcoin itself and hash rate and all kinds of amazing things that'll, that'll uh, open your mind to what's possible. And certainly the same thing with Lightning Network. You can get into more of the guts of it if you want, or you can just simply use a, uh, a basic wallet and you'll 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 be experiencing just the, the, the surface level of it. But uh, nothing like getting underneath it to really appreciate um, just how powerful it all is and where it's all going. Sean, when you were talking earlier just about yeah conventional banking, and it just made me think of the saying, first they ignore you, then they fight you, then they join you. And in the last 12 months, I've just been flabbergasted by just the snowball effect of so many new industries um, just jumping on and going, okay, we get Bitcoin now, let's get involved. Um, so having said that, first of all, can you just plug yourself again? Just where can our listeners find you and what jurisdictions you operate in? Absolutely. So we we operate in you know anywhere because we're we're on the we're on the internet, but we're we're up in here, Vancouver, Canada. It's Liquid FinTech, LQWD fintech.com if you want to bring up our website uh you can find us on twitter under the same handle look lqwd fintech as our handle you can look for myself it's sean anstey s-h-o-n-e dot anstey mm-hmm. at, on twitter so you can find me there and uh and, and certainly uh, we're happy to share any information we can to, to further the for the uh further the cause and if you're interested in our public company you can go to the toronto stock exchange and, and type in lqwd and you'll find our, our ticker symbol and and our goal with the cap, the public markets, it's not about how much money we can put in our own pockets. It's about how we can tap the public markets to bring as much Bitcoin and capital market resources to the Lightning Network to propel it forward. Now, I've really enjoyed this, Sean, and um, I've said this to Gordon a lot. There's not often you come across someone who comes from a technical background that speaks English, <laughs> where the rest of us can understand. <laughs> and I think you you do that incredibly well. Where you get oh, thank you. this very intricate technological stuff and yeah our listeners i know will really appreciate it and just on a side note me and gordon have done more than 150 episodes together you think we'd learn wow. how to not interrupt each other and talk over <laughs> each other we probably should work on a signal i guess that's what happens when we miss a couple's uh, counseling sessions <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's been a real no, pleasure to have you on. It's been it's been very 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 professional, very smooth, and uh, and you know, great questions, and and happy to uh, you know, love to come back on in the future as we get more you know more uh, as our company continues to progress, the lightning continues to progress. Keep an eye on us, and we're happy to share uh, our thoughts on yeah. on the space and uh, where it's going. No, we look forward to it. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Great, thank you Thanks very much. Again. Thanks again, Sean. And, and timely, as I said, you know, last week we're talking about, we're discussing, you know, micropayments with uh, marginalized kids in South Africa. And now we're talking to you providing liquidity for large enterprises. What an amazing space this is, not just with Truly. Bitcoin, but, you know, all around it. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's mind-blowing. It's, it's easy to get up in the morning, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks again for your time, Thank Sean. you, everyone. All right. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit CoinCompass.com for more information and please contact us.